war, politics, social unrest, economic uncertainty, international conflicts, climate change. What is the significance of these current events? Where are we heading? Pastor Gary Webster shares answers from the Bible, giving you hope and certainty in the times ahead. Welcome to Countdown, Back to the Future. This episode is entitled, Ancient Mystery Revealed, The Secret of the Sealed Scroll. Ancient Mystery Revealed, The Secret of the Sealed Scroll. Let's bow together in prayer and ask God to help us to understand tonight. Father, we need your help. We're living in the time of the end. We're going to see that in this presentation. Oh God, we pray that you will come down in a powerful way to speak to each of us. Thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that we have our feet on solid ground as we look at the great prophecies. Be with us now and may we walk in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. John in Revelation saw an amazing sight. An angel standing over the land and the sea with a book open in his hand. He said, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. This must be a message of mercy, you see, because a rainbow in the Bible is a symbol of God's mercy and grace. A rainbow was on his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he held, had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, a megaphone voice. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him that lives forever and ever that there should be time no longer. That's a pretty important verse you can see there. Wow, what is going on here that God sends another angel in this manner? The Bible indicates in the Greek that this book which was now open was once shut. That's the force of the Greek tense there. It was once shut, but now it's open. So what is this book? We go to the book of Daniel. You see, when we go to the book of Revelation, it's always going to push us back into Daniel's great prophecy. Daniel sees a great war between a ram and a goat. We've seen some of this before. This great war, he was particularly interested in this little horn that came out of one of the four points of the compass. This little horn we noticed a few evenings ago did some terrible things. Number one, he stands against Jesus Christ. Number two, he cast down the sanctuary, which we learn stands for or symbolizes or showed the people how to be saved before the time of Jesus, before he arrived. It took away the daily, that means the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, so to speak. It trampled on God's people. And finally, it cast down the truth. If that doesn't concern us, we are not Christian. That should concern every one of us, and it certainly concerned Daniel. He heard a cry, how long? How long's all that going to go on for God? And then he had the answer by the angel for 2,300 days, evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Wow, what is going on here? As soon as he said those words, suddenly the angel Gabriel appears in front of Daniel. 
Notice what the angel Gabriel says. The vision of the evenings and the mornings, that's the 2,300 days, because an evening and a morning is a day in the Bible. Evening and the morning, the first day. Evening and the morning, the second day in the first chapter of the Bible. The vision of the evenings and the mornings, the 2,300 days, which was told is true. Now, some people sometimes think this is not true. But let me tell you, God emphasized what we're about to see is absolutely true. That's why he said it. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. How long in the future? Well, Daniel was told that while it was sealed for into the distant future, the 2300. But Gabriel said these words. So he came near where I stood. When he came, I was afraid. You'd be afraid too. I'd be afraid if we saw a mighty angel like this, wouldn't we? I was afraid and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision, that's the 2300, refers to when? The time of the end. It concerns the distant future. When in the distant future? The time of the end. Wow, this is interesting. So the 2,300 days, he said, it's sealed, meaning it's locked up to human understanding until we get to the time of the end. That's what he's actually telling us. So when is the time of the end? Well, we just go a few chapters over to Revelation, Daniel chapter 12, and we read these words. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book. That's his book, the book of Daniel, until the time of the end. There it is again. Seal your book up. Lock it up to human understanding till the time of the end. And then many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, in the context of what he's talking about, he's saying many are going to run to and fro in order to understand that book. That knowledge will increase about that sealed part, the book of Daniel there. That's what he's saying. It, oh, it also refers to knowledge will increase in the end times and people will be traveling. But really, the primary application is what he's talking about. People are going to seek to understand this book in the time of the end and knowledge about it will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, he says, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that riverbank. See, when Daniel started this vision, he was beside a river, the Ulai Canal and so on. So he says, one on, sorry, the Hidakel River, one on this riverbank and the other on the other riverbank. So two holy beings on each bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. So now there's a third holy being, one on that riverbank, one on that riverbank. Now there's a third one above the water clothed in linen. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time and times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, when God's people have been trounced, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. You're not understanding? Join the club. Even Daniel didn't get it at this point. But you're going to get it before you leave. Don't worry. I heard, I, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the 
time of the end. Did you notice we saw in Revelation a being standing up with a hand raised and swearing to God. John is being told, you go back to the book of Daniel because that's where we see the being. And he shuts up the book. You can see something interesting here. Daniel's book, especially the 2,300 days, because that's what he told us in chapter 8. It is sealed till we get to the time of the end. So when is the time of the end? We just read it. At the end of a period called time, times and half a time. He said, God's people are going to be trounced during that time. So now we go to Revelation. We saw this the other evening. John sees a dragon chasing after a woman. And the dragon chases after her, but she escapes into the desert. The woman might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time. Whoa, we've seen that before again, see? But John sees the same woman being chased into the desert, a, a second picture of her, but he uses a different phrase for the time period. Then the woman fled into the wilderness that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So what have we got here? A time and times and half a time is 1,260 days. That's what he's saying. Now remember our Biblical principle here for prophecy, one prophetic day represents one literal year. Ezekiel 4, verse 6, we've seen it. So 1,260 prophetic days, 1,260 literal years. Now remember, we saw in our last, uh, when was it? What are we up to now? Friday night. Last Saturday, we saw the Bishop of Rome was made the head of the church, the true and effectual corrector of heretics, given political clout by the Emperor Justinian. That went into, a, into, into operation in 538 AD when he gave the Bishop of Rome that power. It was able to be enacted. 538 AD, 1260 years, because this is the period of persecution, we're going to end in 1798. We've seen this before. But Daniel calls this the time of the end. That's when the time of the end begins. Not the end of time, but the time of the end. The time in which the end will happen. This begins in 1798, according to Daniel. That's at the end of that period. Now, this is when, when we get to that time, after the, two, after the 1260 years, this is when this prophecy will start to be open to human understanding because it's locked up until that time, we saw. Okay, now let's go back to Revelation chapter 10. I saw another mighty angel. He had in his hand a little book that's open but was once closed in the Greek, remember? And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Everybody must hear this message, in other words. This is for the world. And the angel lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that lives forever and ever that there should be time no longer. In other words, time's up, if you put it that way. Well, we've come to the end of that great period that we're talking about. What is this book that is now open? It doesn't take us to be a rocket scientist. It's talking about the book of Daniel. 
It's going to, especially the 2300 part, that's going to be opened up once we get to the end of the 1260 years or from 1798, you will expect people to start to understand the 2300 days. So Daniel 8.14 is now to be understood when we come to that year from there on. So I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book that was once shut, but it's now open. Then I took the little book out of his angel's hand and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. I got a bellyache. And he said to me, you must prophesy again to many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. What's going on here? Is John really chewing on a book? No. What is the word of God called? The bread of life. In other words, he's not chewing on, he's digesting the message. He's taking it in. He's told to take the message that is being given. Digest it. And when he digests it, sweet in his mouth, you know, pavlova for breakfast. Beautiful. <laughs> but in his belly, oh, it's terrible. He gets, a, you know, he's got a real pain in the stomach. Okay, that's the picture we have. So what do we see now? What's this all about? A study of Daniel chapter 8, 14 in particular is going to give a sweet, then a bitter experience. That's what he's being told. After that bittersweet experience, he must, that, they must proclaim Daniel 8.14 globally. Now, preach it again, he says. Prophesy again to many nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. Now, what we want to do is we want to have a look at university history to see what's going on here so we can see this clearly. The French Revolution of the 1790s caught Europe by um, not by, well, by surprise as well, but it captivated the imagination and, and war, or, or put people's attention somewhere. There was a lot of violence during the French Revolution. Here at the Place de la Concorde in Paris, the guillotine was set up. The first head to go was that of Louis XVI, the King of France. Many heads followed. Blood ran in the streets of Paris during this time. A violent age as the French Revolution gained momentum. Secondly, it was known for its immorality. The great symbols of the French Revolution were prostitutes. Imagine it. This was the great dawning of the age of reason. And um, the prostitutes were the great symbols of the revolution paraded through Paris. It was a time of atheism. Why was this a time of atheism? Priests were killed. Bibles were burnt. They even instituted a 10-day week at one point during the revolution because the seven-day week comes from the Bible. They wanted nothing to do with God, so to speak. Why? Well, sadly, in France, there had been a lot of persecution by the church against godly priests, godly people in the church who wanted the church to come back to the Bible. Terrible persecution took place. We have the St. Bartholomew's Massacre as a classic example where people were pulled out of their homes and people were set alight in the streets of Paris simply because they wanted to follow Jesus. Terrible time. And the people of France were starving at this point in time 
You know the story. Mary Antoinette, she's eating cake and they're hungry. They're, 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 it was a very a time of famine in France. And the priests were living in luxury. The prelates were living in luxury. And the people of France said, we've had it up to here. The church and the government, they're in bed together. They look after each other's interests and they let us starve. So they revolted. Why did they get rid of... They threw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want anything to do with Christianity. We've seen how it operates. We've seen how it works, where it kills people. And this is why the people killed, because they saw how the church and the government worked for the previous 200 years, and so they did exactly the same thing. That's why they were against God, because of what sort of Christianity they had seen. You can even see this where a prostitute is paraded right up here in the Notre Dame Cathedral, right onto the high altar where they have the mass. She's sat up there. You can see that total anti-God attitude. Now, when Bible students saw this happening in France, they thought that these are great signs of the return of Jesus. They thought of Matthew 24, for example. Jesus must be coming soon. So they began to study the great 1260-day-year prophecy. And when Napoleon Bonaparte, um, his soldiers, by the way, they knew that this, this uh, period began in 538 AD with Pope Vigilius, thanks to the Emperor Justinian. They knew this. And when 1260 years later, the Pope took the, uh, sorry, Berthier took the Pope prisoner the Bible students said, wow, this idea of a year-day principle, it really works when you apply that principle, because look what's happened right on time. So right then, they began to study the 2,300 days, exactly when the clock struck. Soon as that happened, they began to look at this 2,300-day year prophecy. Now, these were... Did not many denominations. One of the first was a Roman Catholic Jesuit priest in South America, Manuel de la Cunza. He came to the conviction as he studied Daniel 8.14 and the 2300 that something was going to happen around the time of 1843-1844. So did Baptists, Methodists, Anglicans, Presbyterians, other denominations right across the world. They didn't have iPhones and contacting each other, just in different parts at the places at the same time, they all began to study the same uh, time prophecy. For 2,300 days, evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. I find it uncanny that the Bible says when we come to the time of the end, that's exactly what's going to happen, and it did. We can see it from history. Amazing. By the way, you can read this in a great set of volumes by Leroy Edward Froome called The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers. Four volumes of it, I think it is. And uh, he traces the history of prophetic interpretation. You can see the list of different people of different religions studying this great prophecy. Something's going to happen in 1843, 1844, they said. Many of them said Jesus is going to come. Many of them didn't know what was going to happen. They just said something's going to happen because of this great prophecy. Sealed book, you see, it's being eaten, it's being studied, it's being taken in. That's what Daniel was predicting and John was predicting. It's being eaten, it's being studied, especially the 2,300 days. One man, a Baptist farmer by the name of William Miller, had a following of 500,000 people in North America, would you believe? That's half a million people. Right across the denominations were a part of this, Methodists, Baptists and so on. 
Presbyterians. October 22, finally he said, this is when Jesus is going to come. Well, Jesus didn't come in October 22, did he? Because you're here. And there was what we call, historians call, a great disappointment. This is during what we call the Second Great Awakening. And uh, a great disappointment took place. Jesus didn't come. Now, before we criticize these people and say, what, what sort of fools were they? Stop. When you go in the Bible, you will see from Genesis to Revelation that God's people want Jesus the second coming. You go to the last page of the Bible and three times, I'm coming, I'm coming. Even so come Lord Jesus. Paul writes of the coming of Jesus. Peter writes of the coming of Jesus. Jesus says I'm coming again. You know, if we, if we don't want Jesus to come, we need to search our hearts. Do we really love Jesus? Because if we really love him, we want him to come, won't we? We want to see the one who died for us. We want him to end this mess. Of course we would. So, an interdenominational group, people of different denominations began to ask this question. So what went wrong? How come Jesus didn't come? Why didn't he show up on time? They looked at this 2,300 year thing. They said, look, we know from the book of Daniel, because we saw this the other night, that the 70 weeks or the 490 years is cut off from that period. We, they, they, could, they knew the starting date, 457 BC. They had that all worked out because that's the seventh year of Artaxerxes. Remember, we went through. So they knew the starting date here and they knew this bit was cut off from that because it says 70 weeks are cut off. I mean, like you chop your arm. Daniel, in chapter 8, he finishes the chapter not understanding. Gabriel comes along in the next chapter and says, I've come to help you understand. And he goes straight into time. Well, you add 457 and 2300 or take that from that and you'll end up in 1844. It's not 1843 because there's no zero year, you remember? So you have to add one. So 1844, they could see that was the time. In other words, that's how they got to this point that this is when Jesus was going to come, they thought. Now they said the date's right because of this bit which is cut off, they knew this bit was right because that part says, prophesied that Jesus would be baptized in 27 AD. Daniel predicted that and he was. The New Testament mentions it. Daniel predicted that he would die in 31 AD and he was. And of course, this is when that period finished in 34 AD. The time says for the Jewish people and that's when the gospel went to the non-Jewish people. Paul was converted at this time. Stephen was stoned at this time. And the Christians went everywhere outside of Jew, Jew, Jewish territory preaching the gospel. So they knew that bit was right. So if that bit was right, the other had to be right. By the way, that's why Jesus said these words. The time is fulfilled. I have arrived on time to do what I came to do. That's why he said those words. He's referring to Daniel's prophecy. So this interdenominational group, they knew that the 490 years was correct and therefore the other had to be correct. The 2,300 had to be correct because if that's wrong, that would be wrong. But that was right. So they knew 2,300 has to be right. So they knew 1844 must be the right time. So they then thought, well, how come he didn't come then? The time's right. Why didn't he come on time? 
Then they started to look at the sanctuary. They began to look more clearly, carefully at that verse. What did it say? Unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary would be cleansed. Now, William Miller and his followers had taught that the sanctuary was the world. And if the world was going to be cleansed because it was the sanctuary, then it would be cleansed with fire, and that would take place at Jesus' coming. That's how they came up with that conclusion. But as these people began to study, they discovered that there's a temple in heaven. Because John said so. We've seen it before. The temple of God was opened in heaven. Heaven is not the temple. The temple is opened in heaven. So they could see, oh, hang on, there's a sanctuary in heaven. As they studied more to the sanctuary, they discovered that heaven's temple needed cleansing because they came to the book of Hebrews. And notice what Paul is saying here. He's comparing the earthly temples like Solomon's and Moses and the one Jesus went to with the heavenly. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies, these earthly temples were just copies of the big one in heaven. It was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, meaning animal sacrifices. But the heavenly things, the heavenly temple, with better sacrifices than these. What would be the better sacrifices? Only the death of Jesus Christ, of course. That's what he's saying. Not an animal sacrifice. Now, as they looked at how the temple operated on a daily basis, they noticed that the sin was transferred from the individual onto the innocent animal, and then the blood, because the animal was killed, the blood was taken into the temple. So they could see the sin in those temples was moving from the individual onto the animal, via the animal's blood, into the temple. So the temple is becoming defiled. They could see that from the Revelation and Hebrews that this is pointing to Christ's ministry since Calvary. When Jesus went to heaven, what did he take with him? The benefits of what he did on Calvary. He died for us at Calvary. Now he ministers in God's heavenly temple, the New Testament says. He's the high priest. And so what does he take? What he did on Calvary. That's why you and I can pray for forgiveness, because Jesus is interceding. They could see that. But they could also see that the temple was getting defiled because sin is moving from the individual via the blood of the animal into the temple. It's becoming spiritually defiled, if we could put it that way. It needs a cleansing, as we said the other evening, not with soap, but in a spiritual sense. So they noticed that there was a day of cleansing in this temple. Once a year, we saw this. Two goats were taken. One goat was sacrificed. The blood was taken from that sacrificial, that sacrificed goat. It was taken and it was, the blood was sprinkled on top of this box. This is the mercy seat here. And underneath is the Ten Commandments. They were inside there. You and I have broken the Ten Commandments, every one of us, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin, which is the breaking of God's law. So now the priest, he's gone into that second room only once a year, that most holy place where the ark is. Now he comes out carrying the sins of the whole nation for the whole year, and he goes to that goat and he just dumps it all on him 
and the goat's taken out in the desert and never comes back into the camp and sin is removed. Wow, what an interesting thing. Now they saw from the Bible that that day of atonement or cleansing was a day of judgment once a year. And we talked about that and I gave you a story of the guy that I went to with to uh, Vanuatu. Now, they saw that from this text. Any person who is not afflicted in soul, if you didn't come to the temple that day and search your heart, what would happen? The day of atonement shall be cut off from his people. They'll no longer be Israelites. So they saw this is a, like a day of judgment each year this happened. So the temple and the people were now cleansed or justified before God everything was right everything was clear no wonder they loved this day because on this day everything was restored to its rightful place including the people all fixed up then he shall make atonement that's the high priest that points to Jesus for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly great day for these people for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord so you can understand why this was a day when it finished of great joy now they could read this text differently you see for 2300 days then the sanctuary would be cleansed they could see that's when the judgment will begin so now they realized something now they could see the judgment began in 1844 because it's the cleansing of the temple the day of atonement the day of judgment so they could see the judgment began not Jesus was going to come so what's happening now the sealed visions of Daniel were now open were now understood in the time of the end that's what it was saying to the people they even saw their experience of their great disappointment when they read John's revelation notice what happened then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth we thought Jesus was going to come we longed for that day but he didn't come and what happened but when I had eaten it my stomach became bitter they realized right there 2000 years ago John had predicted the very experience that they would go in you can understand this really helped them but they saw more this was an interdenominational group of different people from different denominations they saw their mission they saw their purpose in life I want you to notice what they saw he said to me you must prophesy again you got it wrong the first time you thought Jesus was coming now you preach it again you prophesy again to many peoples nations tongues and kings you tell the whole world what would they proclaim what would they prophesy well they went to the book of Revelation and look what they discovered the first angel's message it says then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven in a hurry having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation every tongue every tribe every people saying with a loud voice the hour of God his judgment has come they worked it out and then they saw the text the angel was saying listen 
That's what you've got to tell the world. This is not playtime. This is not time as usual time. The Lord's judgment is on and when it finishes, my son will come. We don't know when that will be, but we know it's begun. 1844, the judgment has started. In other words, Jesus was saying to them through John's prophecy, help the world be ready for my soon coming. I'm coming. We've seen from prophecy after prophecy, Jesus is coming soon. Help the world be ready. How would they do that? Notice what was in the middle of this message. Having the everlasting gospel. At a time of judgment that's going on now, that's what you and I need. That's what the world needs. They need the gospel. The good news. And what is the gospel? The gospel that pro that's proclaimed at the hour of God's judgment. What is that gospel? The Lord God, our creator, became a creature forever given to the human race. That's good news, isn't it? Think about the love of God, that for God so loved the world and he gave his only son, but his son was the creator. Wow. I tell you, my friends, we are loved, this planet. The Lord God, our creator, became a creature. What for? To take your sin and my sin, to take our judgment. What God among the pagans did this sort of thing? No God, but this God. Marvelous. He took our sin and our judgment. And now he's our intercessor and our judge. Listen, this is the best news that you and I could ever share with the world and have ourselves. If your lawyer is your judge, you can't lose the case. You go to the court here in Perth and you, and you stand before the judge and he's also your intercessor. That's mighty good news. But not only that, he took your punishment. He took our judgment. I tell you, God's stacking it in favor of the planet. Beautiful news. Our intercessor is our judge. And then what is to be the response to God's marvelous love and grace when we see that? What's to be our response? Notice what the response is. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Who would not want to follow a God who does that? That's his point. Put your trust in Jesus and then you will want to follow him. A love that obeys God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, it was an interdenominational group this thing began. John saw them in Revelation. Notice what he says. But the woman might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time. The 1260 days. It ends when? 1798 we saw. What does he see next after he sees that this time period has begun? He sees the dragon was wroth, angry with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. After the 1260 years of persecution, which ends in 1798 and the time of the end begins, that's the time in which the end will come, he sees this remnant after 1798. What is this remnant? It's a prophetic end time movement of God. You can see that. Daniel predicted it. John picks it up. Why does God do this? So that you and I will know that God is making something special 
What for the people? Why does he do this? Bring my children home. That's what this thing's about. That's why God, his prophetic clock struck the hour so that you and I can be part of this, an interdenominational movement, so that people would be ready for Jesus to come. Tell you, amazing prophecy indeed. Little girl was lost in a big city. He was crying, as little kids do when they're lost. And a big policeman came up to her and said, Say, little girl, why are you crying? And of course, he, I'm lost. <laughs> he said, say, and he calmed her down. And after a while, he said, say, 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 little girl, what's your name? Oh, my name is Sally, Mr. Policeman. Well, Sally, she said, what's your daddy's name? Well, mummy calls him honey. Well, that wasn't going to help. So then, what's your mummy's name? Well, daddy calls her darling. Oh, still wasn't getting anywhere. <laughs> so he said, now listen, is there something big near your house so that if we got you to the big thing, you could get home from the big thing? And she thought for a while and says, yes, Mr. Policeman, right next door to my house, there's a big church. And on the top of the church, there's a big cross. Mr. Policeman, if you can get me to the big cross, I can get home from there. And that's the truth, my friend. You get me to the cross and I can get home from the cross. I can get home through the mighty love of God. And that's what this movement's about, to point men and women to that great sacrifice so they can love Jesus, so they can follow Jesus. And God says this is happening in a time when the judgment is going on. The most solemn time in earth's history. Tell my people I love them. I died for them. Let's bow together in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, this prophecy is mind-boggling that Daniel, 2,500 years ago, was visited by Gabriel and told, shut up that book. Nobody's going to understand it until we get to the time of the end. Thank you so much, Father, that John predicted it. And we see that opening of that book. But thank you, God, that in the center of this prophecy, in the center of this great book of Daniel, right there is the cross of Calvary. Jesus who arrived on time. Jesus who gave his life 31 AD. Thank you, Father, that because of what Jesus did, we can have confidence. Because of what Jesus is doing, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. May we tell the world, Father, because Jesus is coming soon. Oh, Lord, tonight, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you'd like to say, oh, God, I want to be part of that great movement of destiny of prophetic movement that you're you're establishing just raise your hand just to say the lord lord i want to be part of that prophetic movement that you are you you have predicted and it's the time has come lord you see our hands this is not playtime anymore father may tonight we determine that we're going to follow god come what may to help men and women be ready for jesus to come in his name amen You've been listening to Countdown Back to the Future, made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church.
like a picture that's been marked, distorted and defamed. The world can hardly see me, and I often get the blame. My name has been misused, given to things I'd never do. But the question remains: Do you? Do you really know me? Do you really understand how much I love you? And I will do everything I can to show you who I am. Have you sought me for yourself? Search for me, and you will find. My arms are stretched so wide, full of love for you, my child. I long for you to be with me for all eternity. So the question remains: Do you really know me? Do you really know? Do you really know me? I came from heaven's throne and became a human man. I came to show you God and who I really am. I died for all to see just how much you mean to me. So the question remains: Do you really know me? Do you really know me? Do you really understand how much I love you? And I will do everything. I will do. To show you who I am. From Carly Fletcher's album *Eternity Together*, that was "Do You Really Know Me?" And coming up next, Fountain View Academy will sing "Watch Ye Saints." She 
saints with eyelids waking Though the powers of heaven are shaking Keep your lamps all trimmed and burning Ready for your Lord's returning Lo, He comes, Lo, Jesus comes Lo, He comes, He comes all glorious Jesus comes to reign victorious Lo, He comes, yes, Jesus comes of your Savior, pardon sin and purchase favor, blood-washed robes and crowns of glory, haste to tell redemption's story, lo, He comes, lo, Jesus comes, lo, He comes, He comes, oh glorious, Jesus comes to reign victorious, lo, He comes, yes, Jesus comes. Base our crown, his chariot wheels are rumbling. Tell, oh, tell, sounding. Lord is coming, holy he comes, Jesus comes. Lord, he comes, he comes, oh glorious Jesus comes to reign victorious. Lord, he comes, yes, Jesus comes. Sinners come while Christ is. sing, I will listen. Hard as it seems, standing in dreams, where is the dreamer now? Wonder if I wanted to
Welcome to Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, where you will hear first-hand accounts of answers to prayer and miracles from God. Oh, by the way, I think adults will like this too. Hi boys and girls, nice to be able to talk with you. Uncle Gordon here. I'm going to tell you a little story about some of our lovely Aboriginal folk. I had the joy of working in Western Australia and a couple of those years I was working all the time in amongst some of the most remote Aboriginal communities having joy of getting to know and appreciate and value some of these beautiful Aboriginal folk from, from the West. One of these, and I won't mention her name because it's probably 10 years now since I saw her and she was an old lady then. And one of the things within the custom of these people, because of their coming from very remote areas, they all came, the ones that I got to know closely of all, all came out of being nomads through the deserts of Australia. And this lady, part of their, part of their guidelines that they live by is if somebody does die, they never ever call them by that name. So I'm just going to call her Mary and not her true name. Sometimes they'll just call a person Nabaru, as that means in their own dialect, a person who can't be named. It is a sign of respect that these, the family, the people in the communities had for the person who had died, and they wouldn't use their true name for quite a few years later. So I'm using, therefore, the name Mary. And she's the one that told me the story of how that she had met a man who was quite a few years older than her, and they had become married, and he was a drover. And it was in the years when, when they did it all on horseback and they carried water and their supplies on a cart drawn by big horses as well. And so it was a long time back and they would be bringing cattle, mostly cattle from the northern parts down through, through some of the dry and barren areas of northwestern Australia down as far as Geraldton often, which is about 400 kilometres north of Perth, down there to the marketplaces. And this particular trip, it was summertime, and summer can be blistering hot. But they knew all the waterholes, they knew all the rivers and the creeks and where they could keep watering their animals. But on this particular trip, Mary was telling me, they were struggling because they found one of their waterholes that never had been short of water before had dried up. And so to replenish all the, the barrels they had on their big, big cart that they were dragging behind the horses, they had no more water to, to be able to fill those, those big containers with. And so she said, oh, well, we can make it to the next river. So they got to the next stream and, and all it was was a few muddy water holes and, uh, and there was enough though for the cattle to be able to have a good drink. And they kept moving on and moving on but one by one they found the rivers had dried up and nothing was left and some of them they were able to see the dark patch where the water was underneath and they were able to dig deep and get a bit of water to, to gradually come to the surface for the cattle to get some, some drink. But eventually the next water hole that they thought would be a good water hole they came to was totally dry. They, they tried to dig, they tried to do all they could, but they could never coax any water to come up from below from this well, from this water hole. They thought, what do we do now? They had water in their containers and uh, they came to the point the next day, it was just so hot, that they brought the last of their water containers down and gave it to the young calves. They thought they're the ones that are going to be struggling most of all. And so we need to do something, they said. And Mary and her hubby, who she called old man, 
Mary said to hubby, hubby, why don't we talk to God? We know he's in charge of things. We know he can intervene for us. We just need some rain to help to provide us with the water we need and to fill some of these water holes and some of these creeks. If we don't get rain today, some of these cattle are going to start to die. And maybe we will because we've got no water left either. So we need rain. And so, so they just gathered the other stockmen around them and they, they prayed. They acknowledged God. They said, God, we know you're the maker of all things. You're the one that can bring the rain when we need it. You're the one that brings the sunshine when we need it. And you're the one that brings the different seasons that come to us. You know our need. We just ask you, please, to intervene. Please do something for us to protect us and also these cattle that are under our care. Then they said, thank you, God. Amen. As they finished the prayer, they were suddenly conscious that the sun wasn't so bright on them. It wasn't so hot. And they looked up to where the sun was and there was one tiny little cloud covering the sun. And they felt very comfortable. But as they looked up at that cloud, they noticed that cloud getting bigger and bigger and coming closer and closer to them. But it was covering them all the time. And then it came down quite low and it was dark and it began to rain. And it rained and rained and rained. And the cattle began to moo and to carry on. They were so excited. And, and the little water hole that they were near began to fill up very quickly. And the cattle all gathered around the water hole with the rain running off them, licking each other's bodies with the water that was on their bodies and then drinking out of the water hole. They quickly opened up all of their water containers and they all were filled up as they, as they waited while this rain just pelted down, filled up that water hole, filled up the next creek. And all the way home to, the, to where they were going to the markets, they saw the evidence of that rain had brought enough water to bring them safely all the way to where they had to go. And when Mary was telling me the story, she said, God is just so good, Pastor. She said, He looked after us then and He's looked after in so many other situations. We just think it's a wonder and a privilege to know that we belong to Him. You know, boys and girls, it is a privilege. It is a wonder as those beautiful Aboriginal folk were able to share their own experience and their own faith. It warmed my heart and it needs to warm yours to know that it is a joy to know that God is with you. He does look after you as he looked after them and he can do whatever he chooses to do to bring us out of any kind of predicament that we might ever be in. So keep your trust in God, boys and girls. And keep your faith in Him, knowing that He can do anything if you keep your trust in Him. God bless. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Mission Stories for Kids with Uncle Gordon, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.